welcome to episode 94 of Friends of Film, a podcast with ASMU News and theatrical releases. On this episode, we'll cover a new Black Panther trailer, Netflix's ambitious goal, the official Han Solo movie title, and more after review Only the Brave. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes by searching Friends of Film. As always, I'm your host, Cripper Hood, once again, Joe Byron, ready for the zombie apocalypse to return, Josh Straley. No, Not actually, <laughs> I'm ready for it to and yeah uh you're talking about the walking dead I coming am. back walking dead returns uh well for us it's tomorrow but for many of you listening uh come monday that'll be it actually has already returned mm. um and who knows what this season has in store uh it just it surprises me people are still watching it feels like they're I, last time i watched was like season seven yeah and it was one episode of action and then just the I don't know. I felt like they were like squeezing out every inch of like filler and mm-hmm. potential character arcs that would just dead end. Yeah. Once they were like, okay, time for episode six where we need to have a plot point. Right. Like I remember cause I, it was, it was similar to my game of Thrones uh, thing where I could on walking dead super late. Like I think mm-hmm. I, to catch up for season I don't know, five. Okay. I binged yeah. the first four seasons in like a week and a half on Netflix. And I was like, man, this show's great. And season five was still pretty good. Yeah. But then like season six and season seven, I've just been like, uh, okay, I'm still, I'm still watching this. But like most of the time now I'm like, I'd rather just watch Sunday Night Football instead. Yeah. It, <laughs> and not switch the channel. It's just, uh, I mean... I know their ratings are like down, like the lowest point that the show's had since, like that, you know, it right since it peaked up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you gotta go out on a high note, and I just don't know how much longer they're planning on stringing that whole thing out. I I will be pretty surprised whenever AMC decides to cancel easily their juggernaut show. So, uh, but this is not a podcast we're going to review or preview the, the next season of The Walking Dead. <laughs> thankfully. Ragon. Uh, we'll never, we'll never do that because we don't, we don't touch TV typically. So, uh, really ever, we've never discussed TV on the podcast. Um, no, this is friends and film. This is a film only podcast. Maybe yes. one day we would dive into TV, but for now, for today, we are going to review only the brave, a new release that came out this week in cinemas. Uh, not sure if we're going to get into spoiler territory on this, but it is a true story. So if you are familiar with how uh, these events played out, you may already know how this movie is going to play out to a certain degree, but it was a story I was not very familiar with. Um, and I'm going to start the review, but if we do get into spoiler territory, uh, there will be a timestamp in the description so you can skip those spoilers and go see the movie fresh. But uh, just starting it off, I thought this was a, a great movie. It really surprised me. Not that I thought okay. it was going to be bad or anything, sure. but it just... it caught me in a way where i didn't think it was going to it was uh i mean just solid really all the way around it was well acted well directed well edited well shot i mean there wasn't Mm -hmm. really this huge flaw of the movie um other than i think the focus was a little different than what i was expecting i was kind of going and thinking it was going to be almost like Deepwater horizon where it was like here is the huge event that made the granite the granite mountain hot shots like legit and instead it was like their journey to getting to that point and then one other event after that and i was like okay and it was really more about the group of guys the 20 uh person crew that made up the granite the granite mountain hot shots uh and that team was led by josh brolin and he was great in this movie and he's he's married in the movie to uh jennifer conley 
and they instantly uh you can just feel the chemistry just coming off the screen between those two and i really i always love that in movies when it feels like you're just like stepping into somebody else's life and you're just like this chemistry's there instantly i don't feel like i need all the backstory i just like from the first time i see them like these people are in love and i feel that mm-hmm. and i feel connected to that in some weird way even though i've never met them before um but then like the other like cool dynamic of this movie comes from taylor kitch and miles teller yeah they have this really interesting bromance yep. uh in the movie and miles teller starts off in kind of his typical um kind of the way a lot i think a lot of people see the real miles teller being this like i don't know stuck up like obnoxious person of like you know i'm i'm cool i'm hip i'm i'm all that um but then in the movie he gets his life kind of turned upside down he finds out he is going to be a father mm-hmm um, with a girl he recently uh, broke up with. So it's about him trying to come to terms with that and be the man that he never, the father figure that he never had in his life. Yeah. Um, and I really loved that journey for him. He is, I think, character 1B to Josh Brolin's 1A. I think Josh Brolin is the Definitely. main character, um, without a doubt. And then Miles Teller is clearly the second fiddle, but still he gets the only other arc in the movie that shows some of his personal life outside of what it is to be a firefighter Mm -hmm. um and i i really i really loved all of that chemistry and even like the group itself there's i mean like i said it's a 20 person crew there's a ton of people in this movie um that you don't get to know anything about but there's still those moments where they get one line here or there uh to joke with one of the members of their crew and it, it just feels natural it feels like I mean, in the movie, in like in real life and in the movie, they've been a crew for like four years, I believe, um, most of them. And you feel that sense of familiarity instantly. You don't have to kind of get to know all the guys. You just feel like this is the group and I like it. And we also have Jeff Bridges in here. Oh, yeah. Uh, he sings and dances, <laughs> which was <laughs> fun. I don't know if that's actually his voice, though. I I. I've- sounded like it his sounded voice. like I him mean, auto-tuned probably auto-tuned, yes. i don't know but it wouldn't surprise me if jeff bridges is as talented as you know oh yeah he goes on stage for sure like i mean it was that was one of those moments where i was like okay like i yeah. it was it was not the serious part of the movie where you know people's lives are at stake it's more of the celebratory part of the movie where mm-hmm. they finally had a victory and kind of got their their big promotion and then it's just jeff bridges having a good time and i was like this is cool because i mean even though he plays these kind of cowboy roles a lot and kind of just plays himself, we don't get to see him have that much fun. It seems like in a lot of these, he's either like a villain or a grumpy old man. And this one, he kind of got to be a little happier and a little cheerful. And I, I, I appreciated that. Um, but the, I mean, the crux of the movie is around these wildfires that are happening across uh, mainly California and the hotshots uh, journey or the granite mountain crews journey to become hotshots and help save these fires. And I think each of those fire scenes are equally intense uh, especially the final one that we get to see uh it's really the one where we get really up close that's when they're hot shots that's when you know they get put in you know the worst possible spots and have to try to find a way out and uh, it's it's an exhilarating part but it's also i mean it's terrifying at the same time because it feels very real and um thanks to the way this movie's written and directed you feel and care for all these guys even you know, crew member 19 who you don't get to know their names. Yeah. Like you're still like, I don't want anything to happen to these guys because they just, they're, they're good guys. I mean, it's, it's a very, um, 
American hero type journey where these are the, the unsung people that a lot of people don't, you know, know are out there and that are saving lives and saving entire cities. And this is a very real issue that's happening currently in California. I mean, the, yeah. the wildfires continue to happen out there. And so to get this, it was very timely. I mean, I'm not a California native. I've never even been to California, but just, you know, seeing that stuff on the news and, you know, you see people who are losing, you know, their houses, their lives um, over this kind of stuff to see the angle of what it's like to combat these fires and try to stop them and kind of the intricacies of how to put a fire down. I thought that was, I was like, I mean, some of that stuff didn't, I would never have even thought about that, but I was like, that makes sense now that they're showing me this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And so really, I just, I really liked it in a lot of parts. And since I didn't know the true story, it definitely surprised me at certain turns. Um, But I think it could have been a little bit more impactful in making just kind of the, the terror of it all a little bit more real. I think. Yeah. I understand with, with just, just the way they focus so much on the characters it almost detracted from the horrific nature of the fires um, to certain degrees, but still overall okay. uh, really enjoyable. Can definitely recommend it, and I'll give it four ticket stubs out of five. Okay, yeah. Uh, all, all phenomenal points. Um, yeah, uh, 42 people have lost their lives in the California with over 240,000 anchors yeah. you know, um, burned up. So definitely you know, have them in your thoughts and prayers. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, incredible, yeah, like you said, the timing of this is nothing less than uh, incredible. I right. mean, to have that all happening and then have this movie drop right in there about the uh, Granite Mountain hot shots. Uh, this is the first film based on true events that we've reviewed on here that I actually did not know the story of right. or had a single clue as to you know what the ending is going to be. Like slowly, Deepwater Horizon, two huge events in the news, um, the stories of 19 firefighters, you know, being the first municipal uh, hotshot crew, mm-hmm. it's not exactly, you know, A1 news. Right. So uh, that was really great for me to go into this completely blind. And being able to do that, I got, like you were talking about, I got to fall for all of these characters. Um, Jennifer Conley and Josh Brolin's relationship and their individual characters and their lives. And like you said, being dropped right in and immediately being bought into it when you have such talented people doing that. Yes, absolutely. Um, Miles Teller's story as being a father and then, you know, like you said, his bromance and his relationship uh, with Taylor Kitsch because they don't get along early Mm -hmm. on. And then it's so cool to see them um, bond over the course of, I think it takes them, it's like 18 months or so, this man in the movie is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So great. Um, James Badge Dale is in there as well. He's like the, uh, he's the ringer. For all of these true story films mm-hmm. or, or anything like that. I think he's also got a role in Lone Survivor as well as... Does he? I th- believe so. He's almost in any movie that's based on a true story. I just know he's, the, he's one of the villains in Iron Man 3. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's where I first spotted him, but then he's yeah. just been popping up all over the place. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, Jeff Bridges, uh, the Andy McDowell, who plays his wife. Just fantastic. Um, but... Like I said, I didn't even know, I don't know how these fires ever got fought. Mm -hmm. And so the movie, when it focuses on these hot shots, when they're, well, when they're before in training and when they actually get certified and become the first municipal um, group, that's really cool and fun. And 
watching them, uh, you know, how they fight these fires is super rad. But I was disappointed because I never got told what was going on. It was it was supposed to be self-explanatory, and it probably is. And mm-hmm. I think I got the gist of it, at least just from thinking about it. But there was never a moment where um, Miles Teller or one of the two other new recruits of the team uh, were kind of like, given explanations for why they were doing what they're doing. And I kind of wish the film reached out to me a little bit there, but while they were doing their job though, gosh, uh, uh, Claudio Miranda was the uh, director of photography and they give you some beautiful visuals. Mm -hmm. Um, they shot this thing in New Mexico and, there's just so many gorgeous Western landscapes out there uh, from acres and acres of trees to um, just these overhead shots as the, as the firefighters navigate like, you know, these charred and ashen remains of forests. And I don't know how they got those. I don't know if it was all digitally reproduced or Maybe. what possibly most likely more likely. I would than assume not. so either that or they're burning fake stuff because yeah you can't just go light right. acres on fire of course um yeah well anyway just absolutely great uh and you know it, it was so disconcerting the way they would talk about their job too when they would say oh we need to burn off these 600 six or you know acres to save like all of these yeah. and you'd watch them do it and you're like oh wow like i did not know that's what this job entails mm-hmm. and it's you know, it's very cool um, to watch it all play out. Uh, I do think the movie does stumble near the end, mainly because I don't... It, it avoids probably the, the the peak of the movie, and I don't know if we can talk about this or not. In we'll, a spoiler we'll section. We'll get in spoilers, yeah. Uh, it just sort of arrives at its end, and it doesn't know what to do with itself. It... It does squirrel away, focusing on the two characters that you can, you know, feel the most for in the movie, mm-hmm. um, Conley and Teller. Uh, but as for everyone else and where that happens at, you're sort of, you're you're left in the dark on that. And that was the only thing, you know, that really uh, bothered me. Yeah. But all in all, though, s- superb um, movie from Joseph uh, Kaczynski. So. I'm going to give it four out of five ticket subs as well. All righty. There we go. Um, so we'll get into spoilers uh, here. Probably not for very long, but just to flesh out any details or, yeah. you know, maybe gripes or highlights that we have from the third act. But what was the one you wanted to mention? Yeah. When we get the we get to the um, at the end of the film, the final 12 minutes uh, are about the, the 19 of the hot shots who die in mm-hmm. um, the, the final fire that they go to fight. Um, the Yander Mountain, I, I believe. I think so. Yeah. Uh, and my, it turns out Miles Teller, who got separated from his crew early doing some spotting for one of the wildfires, uh, is the only one to make it back. Mm-hmm. And the, at the end of the film, all the families are gathered together to be l- delivered the news, and Teller wants to go there and wants to, you know, be with them. Uh, he shows up, and we're at this gymnasium, and everyone's, you know, just kind of worried, and they, they, they fear the worst. Uh, and then Teller gets in there and everyone starts to grieve mm-hmm. and that's where it lost you. Yeah. Instead of, instead of confronting that in any kind of way, Teller runs out and then they have some kind of a resolution with him and Conley mm-hmm. about, you know, their loss because that's who the movie had been focusing right. on, but it just left everyone else in there. 
um, to weep. And I know maybe that's all you can do, mm-hmm. but uh, to me, it felt like they were just you know kind of running away from um, addressing that. Right. And I don't know. I mean, what do you do at a point like that in, in a story like this? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I actually I liked that moment. Um, okay. I'm I'm guessing that's how it played out in real life, yeah. and just when he was walking in and. He, I mean, there's like, I don't know, a 10 to 15 second just lingering shot on Teller once he walks in that gymnasium and then you get cuts to, you know, the morning children, the morning wives or other family members. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't blame him for leaving. I mean, yeah. that was just like, even just as a viewer, like that was kind of overwhelming to think of, you know, you survived. It was all, it was a little weird that it didn't appear if they were there, they didn't rush up to him, but like it didn't appear that his girlfriend and like his daughter and you know his mom and stuff like teller's family was actually there um so that was a little weird for me but just the fact that he went there against the you know suggestions of other people it's like no I, i'd want to go there and yeah show my support just the the horrific nature of it all of being the lone survivor mm-hmm. um and seeing the reactions when every other family member of those 19 of 19 of your closest friends and workmates when you walk in a door and they may in some way they may be happy to see you knowing you survived but 99.9 percent of them is just shocked with grief because they knew there was one survivor and you being there yeah. means that mm-hmm. their loved one didn't make right. it back yeah it was the the moments leading up to that before i you know before i have my issues is all of them know one person made it out, mm-hmm. and Jeff Bridges hasn't said anything. He's the he's the fire chief. He's yeah. the the county fire marshal, whatever the case. And they only know nineteen people lost their lives. Mm-hmm. So when they all see Teller come in, the guy who's been with the group the least amount of time, uh, show up. Um, there's two shots of wives and uh, family members just kind of like losing hope mm-hmm. and then breaking down. And yeah, it is. Uh, it was quite the moment for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I get, I get the gripe of what I like. Yeah. I wish I could have seen, you know, what, um, uh, um, what Badger Dale's, uh, you know, family was like, what their mm-hmm. reactions to it all were and more in depth, but we're just to see, you know, Taylor Kitsch's, um, the girl he was going to you know go on that big date with, like right. see her there yeah. or just something else. Um. Yeah, that that may have improved it a little bit, but yeah. And then it does the jump of three years later. Yeah, and that and that is kind of where it like oh they just didn't know what to do. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I think that's that's part of the territory when you go into those those true story events. Like, right. are, do you show like the mass funeral that was probably held? I don't know if there was a mass funeral, but I would assume there was or some sort of huge ceremony. And, yeah, absolutely. Do you do you show that in some way or do you? I think they. I think you can only end it in such a way where after you watch nineteen of the twenty-one or twenty-two main characters, which include like Jeff Bridges and mm-hmm. Jennifer Connelly, watching all those people die, I think you can only end it in a way where you're trying, where you honor them in some fashion, other than ending on like their funeral, because you want to end it on some sort of higher note where you're like, Here, yeah. here's what they saved. Here's you know how far Teller's character has come, and yeah. you know he's there with his daughter and they clearly have like a good relationship now. Whereas before he was really struggling with the fact that he's, he was an absentee father and mm-hmm. you know, his daughter didn't even recognize him. Um, so I think, I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's better ways probably to do it, but I don't know if there's a way to do it. That is 
as honoring to those people that lost their lives for sure and that and that's probably and that's the that's the main point of the movie the brotherhood mm-hmm. here and the families and josh brolin gives this really nice um monologue where it looks like he just went for it and then they added some inserts later mm-hmm. uh to the group after they've been inducted and they talk about you know the family and just how close they all need to remain during fire season and mm-hmm. lean on each other so um yeah to see them uh you know, the ending was all right. was good to having them um, protect the oldest tree in the country, I think mm-hmm. is what they said. I, uh, or the at state. At least their state, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It may be the country, but yeah, um, I don't know about uh, that specifically. But um, yeah, do you have any other thoughts on Only the Brave or you think you're good? Uh, I'm good. That's okay. all I have. Um, so that's that's all we got for our review of Only the Brave. We each give it four ticket stubs out of five. But uh, we'll be right back in a bit with the news. Just let me hold the light. We never say goodbye. I'll see you And we're back with the news, and as always, we're going to start off with one of the new trailers that came out this week, this one for Black Panther. It's the official trailer, not the teaser that came out a couple months before, whatever you, however you want to classify it. I don't know anymore. It's, it's the longest version, it's the longest trailer we've seen so far. It's uh, like two and a half minutes, I think, or just mm-hmm. over two. Um, 2.31. And it's just, it's so stylish. I love Coogler. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think there's... There's arguments to be made that maybe they've shown a lot of the movie in terms of the action set pieces, but I still don't feel like I know the story specifically. I think we know pieces of it in terms of, yeah, you know, T'Challa's the king, or and he, but then he gets challenged, and then you know, Killmonger and Claw team up, but then it looks like maybe Killmonger even takes over the throne and takes over, you know. Uh, you know, leadership in Wakanda. Mm-hmm. Where does that send T'Challa at that point? And then, you right. know, what does that final, you know, confrontation look like? I think there's still a lot we don't know. Um, but it's really, for me, it's just selling me on, I think, Kugler as being the perfect choice for this that I knew he was. I mean, just the style he brings to it, the looks. Uh, another great choice of music for the trailer. I mean, just Wakanda, you get to see the the high-tech aspects of it, but also you get to see the various levels and classes that exist in there where you see just kind of the regular old marketplaces, but then you see just like what's probably like the vibranium uh, mines. We see the high-tech um, you know, ships they have, the weaponry. Yep, yep. We even see the very cool Themyscira-y uh, invisible shield that surrounds the place uh, and the entrance into that I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. Like I had almost like layers that kept popping away. Um, but I mean, we've got to see the new nano suit, which was really, really cool. Uh, especially not only on T'Challa, on Chadwick Boseman, but also on Eric Killmonger. Oh yeah. To watch that thing, the, the frame of him just whipping out his blades mm-hmm. and then having that suit materialize around him. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. awesome. Very and I, cool. I think, I mean that, probably adds to i think like one of those made those complaints that people have about marvel movies that the villain is just a copycat of the hero in some ways and in this one they're going just like full on with that in terms of they even look the same but t'challa has a purple tone to his suit and Mm -hmm. killmonger has a yellow jaguar style so uh, i mean 
that could get maybe a little confusing in battle potentially if those light if those uh, colors aren't super vibrant, but I'm sure they're going to be. Um, yeah. But it also just shows that there's a lot to this world that we don't know. There's mm-hmm. Wakanda. I'm sure we're going to see um, T'Challa journey across the the rest of the world, and you know, kind of to get Wakanda, you know, get people calm about Wakanda and everything. But then also we get to see shots of Necropolis where he's walking and meeting with the other uh, spirits of previous uh, kings of Wakanda and stuff. So oh, so uh, that's that Savannah frame mm-hmm. where there's the the very light, yeah, the Lion King esque thing. Yeah, so that's yes. uh, it's called Necropolis, and that's where the souls of uh, previous. Um, leaders of Wakanda rest. So, like after, wow. so like in uh, Civil War, uh, uh, T'Challa says like, "Death is only the beginning. Like there's there's mm-hmm. another life to live after that, and that is the life he's referring to. Ooh. So that's probably where we'll get to see uh, a reunion with his father in some case. Whether it's I don't know how they'll play it. If they'll keep them in Panther forms, or if we'll get actually get to see. I think it's uh, John Connie is the actor's name. If we'll see him back. Uh, in a physical appearance, but uh, I just, I, there's so much to explore with this movie yeah. and uh, I, I can't wait for it. Yeah. I mean, you, you said it right off the bat stylish and we just talked about Acropolis. Necropolis. Necropolis. Yeah. And I would talk about those magenta hues right there. And then, then there's the, there's fight sequence in these neon streets of looks like, it looks like a foreign country, but it's probably uh, it's, Wakanda itself. I think it's Wakanda. Like downtown yeah. Downtown district. But like where, I don't know. Epic either way. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like the, um, that's their, uh, I don't know, like the, um, the more urbane side of the yeah. city. Uh, or not urbane, but commercial. That's mm-hmm. the word I'm looking yeah. for. You know, uh, so super stellar. That it just looks cool as heck um, with uh, T'Challa climbing across building and building. It's sort of like a putting him in New York City, but keeping the film in Wakanda. Mm-hmm. So we get to see him, you know, out there prowling. Yeah. So yeah, that, that is stunning. Um, I think the plot looks like a Lion King redux, if you will. Kind of. Uh, yeah. the, the rightful heir is somehow killed or almost destroyed. And that looks like, you know, when T'Challa's pulling his arms out and he's kind of challenging him, mm-hmm. you know, for the throne type of a deal after, you know, emerging from some kind of battle or, you yeah, know. I guess that's his comeback. Comeback, coming back from the dead. Yeah. But... This whole new world here um, looks phenomenal. Uh, It's kind of like uh, it looks as interesting and awesome as what Guardians of the Galaxy did Mm -hmm. uh, for us a while back. Um, or Thor to some extent, but that did, you know yeah. didn't actually end up being exactly <laughs> that. Uh, this looks like relatable, and uh, yeah, I think Kugler has got a phenomenal job. I mean, I don't know what uh, Circus is doing. Like, he looks like he's got his arm replaced with mm-hmm. some kind of like metal mm-hmm. rocket launcher. Yeah, so like that in, he's in exploding. Age, yeah, in Age of Ultron, Ultron like chops off his arm, mm-hmm. um, which is a setup to in the comics. He has this like vibranium cannon. As an arm, epic. Um, which they've completely redone because instead of being like a, a legit like cannon for an arm, it like his fingers and like hands separate apart and go down, and then a cannon comes out of his like of his forearm, which is an interesting way to do it. It looks a little goofy. I um, mean, like a still, like I've seen the still a thousand times. It's been yeah. Like, like, yeah, it looks a little goofy. I would have rather like his hand just like fold inside completely and then a cannon pop out, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get the the realistic approach of that, I guess. Sure. Yes. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's, so, there's, there's so much to do. And I think, um, this is also just going to be a, a movie that is super timely, super important for Hollywood. Um, I mean, there's the, the, there's the Wonder Woman vibes in terms of, you know, it's, you know, we're Wonder Woman. It's the mascara. It's surrounded by an invisible force field that makes it impossible to find unless mm-hmm. you stumble across it randomly. And it's an island full of women. This it's a super secret technological city protected by an invisible dome, but it's just all yeah. African American people. Right, it's in Africa, and I think it's gonna be it's gonna do the same thing like what you know Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot did with Wonder Woman to boost, um, you know, just the earnings of women and stuff and the um, the notoriety of them in Hollywood. I think hopefully, as, assuming Black Panther is as excellent as everybody's anticipating, that it'll do the same thing for. Uh, african-american uh directors actors writers uh everything in hollywood and give you know coogler big paydays if he wants to come back for creed 3 or black panther 2 yeah. or whatever and then just continue to you know make hollywood not feel like they always have to put like you know that um that token white guy just like in there you know yeah for sure yeah i mean i mean lupita nyong'o's in there deny guerrera forrest whitaker angela bassett uh daniel Kaluuya. Kaluuya is in here. I yep. forgot about that. Sterling K. Brown is in here, and we haven't seen him at all. Oh, that's right. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, this this cast is loaded, and it's, I mean, as long as I mean, we have like Forrest Whitaker, and I mean, mm-hmm. there's 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 so many people. So yep. if, if each of them can make a statement in their three minutes of screen time, and then it delivers on a great story and it's impactful and everything, then I mean, it's going to be. Uh, I'm I'm assuming it's going to be a super influential movie uh, for years to come. I hope so. Awesome. So uh, sticking with the superhero genre, uh, we got uh, some a couple new casting additions for Venom with Friday revealing that Veep's Reed Scott has joined hey. in an undisclosed role. And then THR revealed that uh, only the brave actor Scott Hayes has joined as well. Uh, both mystery roles. But you are a big Veep fan, yeah. So, uh, what do you what do you think of both these castings? Uh, well, okay, Scott Hayes. I'm trying to think of whose character was. I I told you after the movie, I was like, I was trying to pick out Scott Hayes the whole time. Yeah. Couldn't do it. Okay, yeah. So I don't know what he who he was. Um, but okay, he's on board. But I can speak to Reed Scott. Okay, plays Danny on Veep. Uh, hilarious. Uh, very self serving character. Uh, and he does it so well it almost, it almost comes too naturally okay. i don't know but he he's definitely gonna be uh probably a, a friend for tom hardy i would say okay if not his closest confidant um that's my guess okay just because he, he serves well as a, a b kind of character i think if memory serves me correctly that even though variety didn't explicitly state in their article what role he's going to be the uh, reporter Justin Kroll said on Twitter that he was like the owner of the business. Okay. That like finds the symbiote or creates Ooh, it or whatever okay. the case is. So nice. maybe he's going to be a little more villainy. I don't know if he can pull that off or not. Um, but then they're yeah, still they're could. still saying that Riz Ahmed is not Carnage, which makes me think that maybe Scott Hayes is Carnage. I don't. Again, it's hard to speak to that because I haven't seen him in anything. I mean, I've well, I I saw him in Only the Brave, but I don't know which of the twenty firefighters he was. Right. So, trying to figure out his range there, I I'm not sure. I've heard he's really good in Child of God, 
but I have not seen that, so if you're, I don't know. If you're reaching for an actor to play Carnage, though, at this point of the game, I mean, that that's the thing that's that, that kind of throws me. Right. Um, but, I mean, why would you grab Riz Ahmed if you're not going to you know, know cast him in something super grand? Because that just, guy's blowing up right now. I'm just trying to figure it out because if, Same here. if they're saying that he's not Carnage, but he's a major Marvel character, I don't know who he's going to be. Does that have any bros? No, not that I'm aware yeah. of. So I, I just don't, I just don't <laughs> know. All right. Well, maybe, well, maybe he is playing opposite Venom, and Carnage isn't involved. I mean, no, Carnage is involved for sure. They've confirmed that Carnage is the villain. So we just, <laughs> we just don't know who's playing him. Maybe they're, maybe it's supposed to be some huge twist. I don't know. But if it's not Riz, I feel like Scott Hayes is the better fit for Venom, just based on his look and hearing things about his performance in Child of God. I think he could maybe pull that off a little bit better um, than I think Reed Scott could, based on your description of him. So, Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that assessment at face value. I disagree, though, that Riz Ahmed would be in this movie and not be... Yeah, so, I mean, so would I. Oh, I, don't, you, I mean, you're probably paying him $10 million to show up, and, uh, okay. Yeah. I don't well, know, hey. unless he's, like, I don't know, like, Craven the Hunter or something. Like, I don't know. Ooh. Like, that seems, that doesn't seem like a perfect fit, Um, but, I mean, I, I don't know. Riz is a chameleon. He could do whatever. Absolutely. So, um, who knows? Watch him in Nightcrawler. Yeah. It is the that role for him in there and then just watching him and everything else he's done is just like, this guy's got so much range. Yeah. He's terrific. And another person that is terrific is Sylvia hoax. Yeah. Uh, we just got introduced to, her, or at least I did, uh, in Blade Runner 2049 and variety is reporting now that she is in talks to play, uh, Claire Foy's, uh, Elizabeth Slander. Is that the character's name? Uh, the evil twin. The evil twin of Claire, Claire Foy's. Foy's Elizabeth Salander. Yes. In The Girl in the Spider's Web. It's a reboot Sony's doing, uh, directed by Don't Breathe director Fede Alvarez, and the scheduled hit theaters uh, in, let's see, uh, less than a year now, on October 19th, 2018. Wow. So this thing's got to get moving quick, but... I mean, I was a huge fan of Sylvia Hoax and what she did in Blade Runner, and I think I said in our review, I was like, I want to see more of this girl, and I'm getting my wish. I've not seen any of the previous, uh, the girl in whatever Yeah, movies. the other two adaptions. So I haven't seen the original with the original trilogy with Nomi Rapace, and I didn't see the David Fincher reboot, so I don't have any familiarity with this property at all, but... They have three talented people on board, so I'm interested in it. Yeah, uh, Fidi Alvarez is mm-hmm. directing this new uh, take on it. Um, I haven't seen either film, either of the four films, not even the Fincher. Oh, English I thought you were talking about Don't Breathe. Have you seen Don't Breathe? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that movie takes a weird turn at the end, but still. Yeah, great movie. Yeah, it does super well with the premise it has. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to see him with something, you know, where a little bit more conventional that yeah. uh, he can take out of turn and especially adding intrigue to it the way he did. Uh, but I have read the first five chapters or so, so I guess I kind of I kind of got a mood for these okay. uh, movies a bit, but they're very um, 21st century noir, the journalist, uh, detective, like the journalist and his sidekick, you know, okay. stumble into conspiracy involving banks and all sorts of things, you know? All right. Um, so obviously super stoked that Sylvia hoax is 
ramping up to be a star because yeah like you said um just a second ago phenomenal in blade runner uh one of the bright points so maybe this will get me you know down for girl in the dragon mm-hmm. tattoos or the girl in the spider's web which is yeah. the sequel or is the second book in the trilogy and so mm-hmm. forth so but i do need to check out fincher's og because, yes well his, his adaption his reboot, yeah yes <laughs> yeah. uh to figure out, you know, conclude these films and mm-hmm. see where they need to go. Yes, yeah, yeah, same. Um, and interesting enough, in the Variety article, they mentioned that Sylvia Hoax was actually up for the same role Michelle Williams got in Venom, uh, which I was like, oh, that would have been uh, really Ooh. interesting. It would have been totally different. It would have totally changed the way I anticipate that character going uh, based on just how Michelle Williams acted in the past and the brief experience I have with Sylvia Hoax. Right, they're past but, characters. I, I'm just, I mean, I was like, I'd be happy with either one. Yeah. And so now that she's in this, I think it's great. Michelle Williams is probably, it will crush it. Yes. It would have been very cool to see Sylvia Hooks. It would have been, character. I think, a very, a very different and yes. interesting role for her. 180 yeah. of the character. Yeah. Like, uh, if, I like people seeing, I like seeing people do range. Right. You know? That's and why like, Tom Hanks is so fun. In my mind now, like, I think her name's Anne Wang or something, uh, mm-hmm. Michelle Williams character in Venom. Like, in my head now, she's just kind of this vulnerable um, character who's in love with Tom Hardy. Um, but then, like, if it's Sylvia Hooks, I feel like she's, like, this, like, super upset ex of his that right. was just like, ah, oh, screw you, and, right. like, goes off on this rampage sort of thing. We'll run him down with the law because <laughs> yeah. he has a symbiote with him. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's, that's all the superhero stuff we have this week. But uh, moving on to the streaming side of the movie industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Variety reported this week that Netflix is planning to spend $8 billion on original content next year alone. And in doing so, uh, they will they will drop 80 original films in 2018. Uh, that's a lot. Is it too much? I Okay. There's two ways to look at this, though. Okay. Netflix is paying for these films. Yes. They are financing them. Um, and so they're not doing anything other than putting them on their platform. Mm-hmm. You know, they're looking at scripts, greenlighting them and putting them on Netflix. Yeah. But from a standpoint of like, how do I consume all of that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's over a film whoa. a week. Yeah. That, granted, I don't need to watch every movie that lands yeah, on Netflix. Exactly. And like, I'm sure... Yeah. I mean, I don't know, a quarter of these at least will be like, you know, some animated kids movie that I won't watch because right. that's, that's not, those aren't meant for me unless they're like these, they get some rave reviews and one of them gets, puts up for the best animated movie Oscar, then I'll mm-hmm. probably check it out then. But I mean, there's probably, if they, if they do do 80 films next year, maybe half of those would be ones that are aimed at a demographic that I would fit in, whether yeah. it, because it's not a kid's movie, it's not a romantic comedy or something. It's, mm. it's more of an action movie. It's more of um, a drama. It's just, it's, it's something that's open to all demographics and all yeah. kinds of, all kinds of people. And, but I, I just, I mean, I don't know. Like I think Netflix is a great platform. They make a lot of great content. They produce a lot of great content, but Ooh. they, this is seems like an overload of content that even currently, I don't know how many movies Netflix releases a year that's original, how much they're doing this year, but I've seen, I think, four movies this year that Netflix has done. And 
a couple of them, they weren't even like announced as being like, here, they're out. Just yesterday, Wheelman, mm-hmm. uh, new Frank Grillo getaway driving movie dropped on Netflix. And I had no idea uh, that it was even coming out that day or that it was released that day until I got on Twitter and yeah. Frank Grillo had like shared the message like, hey, go watch my new movie on Netflix. I'm like, oh, okay, this is out. And then I went to Netflix's recently added section and it's not even there. It's not on the Netflix original section. It's not on anything. And I had to search for this movie. And I think if Netflix is going to commit to making 80 original movies and releasing them, and that's just movies. That's not including TV shows, uh, anime, any other programming. That's just movies. If they're going to commit to that, they have to find a better way to make it known to me and to all other consumers that these movies exist and that they're out there. So that way we can get excited for them to begin with, but also yeah. know when they're actually available right. to watch. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, what what do we know next year? We know The Irishman and Bright. No, Irish, Irishman's not even until 2019. Really? Yeah. Ah, okay. Well. What was the other one you mentioned? Bright. Bright's that's, that's, this year. That's this year. It's the end of this oh, year. so we don't have any. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I have Gosh. no idea what they're doing next year. Well, okay, so 80 fun surprises, maybe Sure. 40, 60, depending on, you know, what, 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 what you're after. Right. Um, the, the last animated film that I did watch on the little prince, which is a Netflix exclusive, I believe okay. was very good. Jeff Bridges stars as a eccentric old you know, pilot who lives <laughs> next door to like a, a girl that's, um, like, uh, book smart and like does her daily routine and he helps her like break out of it. But it's okay. very cute. But so I love the potential like you, um, and I do agree that, they do need if i was putting it on a platform i would at least want netflix to market it mm-hmm. uh, a little bit yeah uh i mean they're raising rates so they are certainly ramping up for this uh, what is it 11 going to be 11 dollars a month now for the basic package mm-hmm. so it rem- i mean it doesn't frustrate me at all i guess uh, to the to the level that you had uh because searching for it and having your actors pitch the movie that they're in um, whether they make, they probably don't make royalties off of it or anything like that, depending on streams, mm-hmm. but it could be overkill because I was just, I just pulled up Netflix and looked at five or six titles mm-hmm. that just sort of like appeared on there Yeah, that I had no, uh, warning about. And mm-hmm. I follow movies pretty closely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and if you didn't know Wheelman was coming out, right. there was no way I was going <laughs> to know Wheelman was coming out. Um, but it's awesome to see them all in on original content. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to hope the office stays on there for forever oh, because that's my yeah, go-to. Of course, of course. I mean, I think just the concern for me is that Netflix is clearly more focused on their television programming at this point mm-hmm. where those are their big pushes. Uh, I mean, Stranger Things is currently in all hype mode where every day it's some new promo, some new tease of whatever's going to happen in season two. And I'm excited for it. I'm thrilled. Last night I was at Meijer and which is a store here locally in Indiana. And it, they had a Ego waffle t-shirt with just 11 on it in Ego in like waffle form. I was like, that's a great shirt. And I almost bought it, but I didn't. Um, But like, I see we see promos for that stuff for House of Cards for the Marvel stuff, um, you know when Bloodline was still going on you see stuff for that and um, you know the various other network stuff for them right but they haven't had a movie that's been like that cultural 
hit that cultural phenomenon on the le- on anywhere close to what they have done on the TV side, which I get because it's a TV show. Mm-hmm. But it's also those TV shows are also eight to thirteen hours worth of content, and for those things to pick up so much steam so quickly, if you would promote a movie half as heavily as that. You know, like Beast of No Nation, a lot of people wanted that to get Oscar love, right? But it couldn't qualify because mm-hmm. of theater releases and all that stuff. And but like, if they had, and I, like Oakja, I think Oakja is a really good movie that came out this year, um, and maybe it could contend for some sort of Oscar. I don't know where I'd necessarily put it outside of maybe give Jake Gyllenhaal best supporting actor because he is you know crazy and wacky and fun yeah. in that movie, but like, still, I don't feel like that movie got. A a marketing push that it needed to even kind of generate some sort of recognition that this movie's out there and people should go watch it. Yeah, it is. It is interesting because uh, you Netflix is famously ad free and they don't, they don't plug their content anywhere other than their social media feeds or, or after you finish watching something. Yeah. Um, sometimes you, you get banner ads for Stranger Things and things like that. They're like you said, they're series. Yeah, they definitely get um, ad space across the web. Mm-hmm. But I have not seen a film um, at all advertised for. Right. Just House of Cards. Just yeah. Just their just their original series. So 2018, 2018 will be a make or break year mm-hmm. uh, for them. I mean, I don't know what they're planning on buying with. Eight billion is that what it was? The number? Th- yeah. So it is. It's exciting to see them invest uh, in anyone looking for their big break because mm-hmm. who knows who is going to put a movie on Netflix next year, and then the year after that be offered a job, you know, directing something maybe in Phase Five, right? Of the Marvel MCU <laughs> yeah, films sure. or things like that, mm-hmm. or you know. So hopefully. Um, their plan becomes clear at the yeah. turn of the year. Well, and I think I think hopefully the end of this year will be a stepping stone for them because they have Mudbound still to come out, which got really good reviews, and Netflix bought it up on the awards circuit or on uh, the festival circuit yeah. because it was getting so much awards love and people were like, oh, this could win Best Picture, this could win Best Director, and so Netflix is like, gimme, 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 let's get an, let's try to get an Oscar nomination or even yeah. a win here. Mm-hmm. And but st- since they bought that, I feel like I. I think there's been one or two trailers. Neither of them, I feel like, have been that big. And then they have Bright coming out at the end of the year, and they're supposed to get a new trailer uh, next week, so we'll probably talk about that on the next episode. But other than that, again, it's a movie that it's it's big budget. I think it ninety million. Yeah, million. ninety million. It has Will Smith, Joel Edgerton, the mm-hmm. director of Suicide Squad. It has names. The well, Academy Award-winning the, Suicide yeah, Squad. I'm sorry, the Oscar-winning Suicide Squad movie. Uh, it has a lot of name recognition to it. Even Numi Rapace, like. But again, where's the buzz? Where's the hype? Maybe it's coming, and they're just waiting until after the Last Jedi comes out, and they'll give it a really strong two-week push to get some big, you know, winter hype around this movie. But yeah. it just doesn't seem like that's coming. It, Bright will be a big deal. Just because I hope so, and we don't. The thing that bugs me about Netflix, I guess, as in general, is just that you don't know their numbers. Yep, you don't know streaming. You don't. I know, wish we did. You don't think we don't think we know subscriber numbers. All we know either. is that it it jumped up. They'll tell you percentages increase yeah. um, sometimes, and if they maybe if they hit a landmark of they'll say oh we million, yeah oh million. we've crossed 
X they'll, amount of subscribers. Yeah, right. They'll blurt that out. Uh, so, yeah, I, and you know, it's it's interesting. And um, I noticed. Uh, well, Deadline had an article out this week about the the Film Academy reviewing Netflix's eligibility. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in terms of you know being uh, eligible for Oscars. And I don't think I would ever want them to ban them no, from being able to put things not. out there. And I, but so I don't understand, you know, where the, the angst is coming from. Right. But also I was, I was listening to the latest episode of uh, meet the movie press and they were talking about this same article and they brought up that Netflix wants to be the, a big Hollywood studio. They, they want to act like one and get treated like one, but they also want to break every rule in the book and be like, Oh, you're saying we have to release in theaters? Okay, we'll sh- we'll do the one showing and then we'll keep it on our on our service. Yeah, but we'll also debut it that same day as it's going in theaters, so really nobody's even going to go watch mm-hmm. the movie because they can just watch on Netflix. Where right. if you look like Amazon, Manchester by the Sea came out in theaters. Yep, and then after it was all done, then it went to Amazon Prime. Right, ninety days on yeah. their service and. If Netflix, I think, was willing to adapt to that strategy for certain instances where, like, they see, okay, Mudbound could be a Best Picture nominee. Let's 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 follow that model. Let's put it out there. And on the preview, you show a movie produced by Netflix. That's going to get people's attention. And then if they love that movie, when they log into Netflix in three months and they see that movie back up there, they're yeah. like, oh, yeah. I remember that movie. That was a good movie. Let's watch it. Right. It's. And, I don't know. It is. It's. It's. It is. I mean, this is. This could be a big question. Uh, right. You know. We're kind of treating it as one so far. <laughs> sure. Okay. I, this will be my last line on okay. it. Okay. Um, and then I'll hand it off to you for the final word. But Netflix needs to bring in subscribers. Yeah. Amazon, you get video. You get Prime mm-hmm. Video with your Amazon, you know, prime shipping and your prime, all the other services that Mm -hmm. fall underneath that banner, your uh, audible Kindle, whatever else you're signed up for. So that's their incentive is, you know, um, make money off of a great film Mm -hmm. and bring prestige to their service. And at least, you know, give you a secondary reason to have prime Mm -hmm. music and prime video along with your shipping and Mm -hmm. other uh, services. Netflix sole goal is to get you paying $11 a month Yeah, every month. Mm-hmm. And these, this 80, 80 film release is so that while the quality may not be Oscar caliber every time. It probably won't it be. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. I'm, I mean, you're pulling from a wide, you yeah. know, a wide range of directors, actors, and uh, production crews. But they want to keep you month to month. Mm-hmm. They need to have something for every demographic mm-hmm. every month to make you say, oh, well, I'll keep it this month because there are two movies that I want to see. Right. There's a new series I got to watch. Mm-hmm. And the that'll... Punisher comes out next month. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that, that's their strategy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, I just hope that they can figure it out and, you know, come next year when they have some big movie uh, that they release, or even a smaller movie that just has a notable star in it, whether mm-hmm. it be like, cause they've had movies with Brad Pitt, John Boyega, uh, Frank Grillo, Numi Rapace, yeah. um, uh, I mean Jake Gyllenhaal, Tilda Swinton, and Oakjaw. Like they've mm-hmm. had really, you know, star-studded casts for their movies. But then again, there's no push for them to let you know that oh, you're a big Jake Gyllenhaal fan. Come watch this Oakjaw movie. Or oh, remember Star Wars Seven? Right. Probably. 
watch John Boyega in this movie. Like they could find better ways to advertise. And I think that's just kind of the key for them to make sure that the, of these 80 original films, you know, half of them meet some sort of minimum requirement in terms of the viewers they're pulling in. Cause otherwise I think a lot of these will just get lost in the shuffle of original content. Plus the library of movies that they already have at their disposal on Netflix. So mm-hmm. um, we'll move on away from Netflix, maybe get back into the Netflix discussion later on with a big question in future weeks. But uh, moving on to a crossover that could be happening uh, would be between Pacific Rim, Godzilla, and oh. King Kong. It's the biggest crossover ever, potentially, uh, with uh, Pacific Rim Uprising director Stephen S. Knight telling Collider that there have been discussions for Pacific Rim to cross over with Legendary's MonsterVerse, putting the big Jaegers up against or fighting with Godzilla and King Kong. I can tell by your face, you're not a fan of this. No, Godzilla already <laughs> fights a robot, and it's called Mecha Godzilla. Or what? <laughs> he fights a robotic Godzilla that oh, okay. the... That the uh, Japanese army creates to fight him. Um, it's a little different. <laughs> yeah, I forget his name. I'll I'll do a quick Google search, or maybe you can. But uh, no, listen, God, like, what's the point of developing a very self-serious monster universe? I mean, granted, King Kong took yeah, a little bit of it too serious. Yeah, yeah, a little bit more, turned a little bit wacky. Um, and then just to cross it over with Pacific Rim, which I just praised for finally um, ejecting any form of self-seriousness. Mm-hmm. You know, and then like, why would you, they're two different audiences. Godzilla is going to do, is going to make your $500 million worldwide sure. guaranteed. Pacific Rim may, 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 you know, knock on the door they of a billion. There. Oh, I'd be I, pretty surprised about that. Yeah, I'd have to do really well out here at home. It may knock on the door of 750 or something like that worldwide. It does incredible Mm -hmm. um, in the uh, Pacific. So I just, I am so stoked to see Kyle Chandler, Millie Bobby Brown, um, not Tilda Swinton, but Um, uh, American uh, Vera Farmiga. Yes. Yeah. uh, Join um, also the star of Silicon Valley, Mm -hmm. Thomas um, Middleditch. Yes. You know, all these great actors join on for the next Godzilla film, but then to see them collide with a Pacific Rim film. No, no, no. Stay, please stay away. Stephen Knight. Stephen D. Knight. Sorry. Uh, I, I would be okay with this. You would be okay with sure, this. Sure. Why not? I mean, I'm not a huge fan of any of these franchises. So if they want to put <laughs> giant robots against giant monsters, it means basically what Pacific Rim is already, mm-hmm. but you replace the, the obscure Kaiju with, all right, uh, you guys have to fight Godzilla. <laughs> okay, sure. Well, why not? Like, I don't really care. Uh, I mean, and it would probably make a ton of money for it Legendary. Would. So, if anything, I think this is almost like a guarantee to happen as long as Pacific Rim Uprising isn't a flop. And that, you know, Godzilla and Godzilla vs. Kong don't just, like, yeah. blow out of Pan. proportion and be like, oh, we're, we're over the monster phase already. So, mm-hmm. I mean, unless this thing pulls the Dark Universe and dies you know, super early on, then I think it's going to happen in the next, you know, five years and it'll probably be fun and big and loud and crazy. Uh-huh. Whatever. <laughs> and, and you're definitely going to be there opening night. I can tell already. Mm, yeah. Um, but one thing you will be there opening night for is star Wars episode nine. 
Uh, and I Ryan, will. and yeah, yeah I, I think that's a safe bet yeah. for a lot of people. Uh, and Ryan Johnson told the Hollywood Reporter this week, uh, surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, depending on how he thought this was going to go beforehand, that he is not involved in Star Wars Nine in any capacity. Saying that like this hmm. is just JJ's thing. Uh, he, they're going to build on what Ryan did with Eight and move on. What do you think? I was a little surprised by this. Okay. I'm not going to lie because I thought that even, I mean, I'm not saying that Ryan Johnson is going to be the writer of this movie or anything or direct it, but I sure. And maybe this is still going to happen and it just hasn't happened yet. Or maybe Ryan's just not trying to make it seem like he's, you know, a huge influence on nine, but I would think that Ryan Johnson and JJ would talk about what's happening in nine. I mean, whether it's JJ, visiting the editing bay in episode eight during the final weeks and seeing what Ryan has and then being like, Oh, okay. So you're built, you're establishing this, uh, where you're going to go in this direction, this direction, Ryan's saying, Oh, I was going to go this direction. And then Jay's like, okay, okay, cool. Like I, I see where you're going and I'll build off that. Maybe those little conversations have taken place. Um, and he's just not alluding to those, but if Ryan's not involved in the slightest and has no sort of input, that makes me a little weary that, you know, that the, whatever Ryan's establishing in eight won't be executed fully in nine. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying I'm not coming off the JJ train. Right. No, no, no. Yeah. Of course. We all know where you stand on that. Um, I, yeah, it's a little bit, not, I don't know if I'd say disappointing because I think it's almost baked in mm-hmm. that he's going to give story notes right. or he's going to outline his thinking mm-hmm. um, of, on character moments and points uh, in the story. Because you got to remember, whatever we see come December this year is is it. That's, that's the real deal. Yeah. Anything that's not in that film, anything behind the scenes is all for actors mm-hmm. and directors writing the story. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter what Ryan thought. Sure. Up till what he, you know, sent to the theaters. Right. What he what his final cut is. So like reportedly the final cut is already out there. Oh yeah, yeah. He allegedly he had it baked in like, yeah, like a or, couple weeks ago. Yeah, by like a late September, early right. October, which is crazy. Um so with that said I I like the idea of Johnson, you know, coming in, um, blowing JJ away with his script so much mm-hmm. that JJ wanted to direct this episode. Mm-hmm. That was a great quote um, that he gave. I think it was like when episode seven was still in its yeah. media circuit. Um, but I like that Ryan would show up, destroy our minds with whatever he's got planned here, and then just leave, and, and then and then just walk <laughs> away from the car wreck. Right. You know, totally unscathed, like, and then back to doing his own thing, yeah. and then just leaving everyone to be like. What the? Yeah, and what then, the heck? Yeah, right. And then JJ's like, "All right, I guess we just got to start mopping it up, you right. know, and wrapping it up." Maybe that's why it's been so tough to crack nine is because Ryan's like, "Right, I don't know." And I, that kind of goes back to the concern I've kind of had with Lucasfilm so far is that there's been those quotes that are like, "Oh, Lucasfilm doesn't really have a, a a big picture plan. They didn't have episodes seven, eight, nine mapped out." You know, like right. Uh, that doesn't seem like the best strategy. Yeah. Um, but it's also, I mean, it, it would 
I would assume give filmmakers a lot of creative freedom mm-hmm. for like like you said Ryan Johnson to come in, drop a bomb, and leave, right? And not worry about the consequences. Be like, hey, yeah, I did my piece. Uh, you guys got to figure out what to do next. Yeah, a good film is a good film, no matter. I mean, context of it is somewhat important, mm-hmm. but there's going to be a time jump at the end of this film. Sure, year, two years, six months. A week, something mm-hmm. like that. I mean, it, yeah, it all depends on however it ends. Ex- exactly. So depending on what happens at the end of this, um, you know, sweeping up the pieces and things like that may not require Johnson to be like anything more than uh, we've got here's two films for two characters. Um, let's close their arcs. And right. you can move the film 10 years into the future if you want. It mm-hmm. probably won't. But yeah, I mean, I'm okay with it. Not Not disappointing, but it's just sort of like, I think we should be clear that, or at least it's probably well known that Johnson is not just like saying, hey, good luck, JJ. Right. I mean, <laughs> I, know, would, I would assume so. Not returning like, his calls or emails. Like when JJ was doing seven, like there's all this about, oh, he brought um, Ava DuVernay in for like, just to give advice yeah. and be like, oh, what, what do you think of this scene or this exchange? And, and I'm, I'm sure at some point in nine, either in the scripting process or in the editing process, um, when they're doing their rough cut before they do reshoots that Ryan will come back to the Lucasfilm lot and just be like, Hey, look what we got so far. Let us know what you think. Mm-hmm. I'm that that's going to happen. Like, yeah. I'm sure it is. Like, I don't think JJ did that with eight because I mean, there's at that point, there was no really reason to, um, cause that's, I mean, kind of JJ's MO is to set things up and walk away. And the fact that he's come back to close it again, I think allows him to do a lot of different things, but uh, yeah, I think it just adds another level of intrigue as we uh, approach episode nine. So uh, that's all the news we got this week, kind of. Yeah. Uh, there was a bit of news that came out this week that has been long awaited. Underwhelming. We have. I'm huh, sorry. Um, we have a title for the Han Solo <laughs> movie. Um, oh boy, this is uh, this is an exciting one. Let me just tell you. Innovative. Right off the bat, it's going to shock the world. It's going to shock you if you've stayed off the internet for the last couple of days. <laughs> uh, the Han Solo movie, the young origin Han Solo movie that's going to span six years of his life, is called Solo, A Star Wars Story. <laughs> it's it, just, it, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what else they could have <laughs> called it. Me neither. They, I mean, the only other thing probably is Han Solo, a Star Wars story. Right. But could you have called it scoundrels or smugglers oh, or okay. something just different? Because I'm not going to say, you know, next year, hey, are we going to go see Solo next week? Gonna be like, oh, are, are we going to go see the Han Solo movie? You know, like Solo is not going to be the abbreviation like oh, wow. Rogue One is the abbreviation, you know? Yeah. Oh, you you don't like it. I just think it's. I think oh. it's expected. I think it's a little boring. I yeah, don't. that's where I thought you were going with it. But yeah. You still. I mean, I was just gonna like yawn too, kind of like you did. Be like, oh, surprise. Yeah. But you kind of like think outside the box here, guys. Kind of. That's what I would have called it. I mean, yeah. Um, like, I think it's probably. It it's kind of adds to the whole secrecy element of it. They've been. Yeah. It's been the untitled Han Solo movie for a year and a half, or however long it's been that way. Yeah. And for them, just be like, "All right, here's the big reveal. Mm-hmm. Get out that card, Solo, right? Uh, Star Wars story. Yeah, I w- 
Okay. I will. I do appreciate Howard's uh, presentation of it. Sure. So first of all, the guy is so gosh darn likable. Um, you know, he's he, tricking us. He, he, I don't know if he's tricking us, but he, there's nothing to hate about Ron Howard. Yeah. I'm gonna put a asterisk to that because I don't know everything about Ron Howard. <laughs> sure, that's um, fair. But he, I need to start doing that uh, with a lot of things just until you know yeah. I say that, but. The guy's got a aw shucks paw opie attitude still, you know, even today. And him being like, oh, hey, let's bring it out. Because he, I think he is totally excited. Oh, uh, sure. And I'm sure he is. He's directed a Star Wars movie. Yeah. And it, it was, even though the to- announcement was completely banal, um, he, he presents it with enthusiasm. And it's like, okay, we saw this coming, you know, yeah. type of a deal. Uh, so the the big reveal did kind of, at least in the advertising of it, did kind of play like, you know, a drop in the pan type of a deal. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, that's just my issue. Not, I don't have any issues with the title. It's just no. why keep it a secret for so long? It'd be like if, you know, the untitled Avengers movie, the fourth one, it's like mm-hmm. comes out after Infinity War and it's Avengers. Infinity War 2? Infinity War Part 2 or Infinity Gauntlet. It's like, wow, that's a huge shock. I'm mm-hmm. so glad you kept that a secret for two years. Like... It it's doesn't a, matter. Oh, sarcasm. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like if it if but if it's something like Avengers, everybody's dead. It's like right. okay, I'm glad right. you didn't spoil that for me ahead of <laughs> sure. seeing Avengers: Infinity War. So maybe this was just they left it as entitled because they were trying to float around some other title, but that they just couldn't come up with anything that, that, that they felt they could brand and promote properly and make it clear this is a Han Solo movie. But I mean, if it's also if it's like a Han Solo movie with Chewie and uh, you know Woody Harrelson's also in it for a large part, and Lando's in it for a large mm-hmm. part, and they're all smugglers. You could call it smugglers, a Star Wars story, and get across that Han Solo's the main character. Yeah. Um, so I, hear I just I think it could have been something greater, um, but it just it's a non-exciting title. But uh, it gave us a great excuse to rehash something that we discussed uh, for a pretty decent amount of time after the yeah, episode. we did. Uh, st- stopped recording last week. We were talking about Han Solo and being like, when's this movie going to get an official title? But more importantly, when is this movie going to start marketing? And that's our big question of the week. When will Solo, a Star Wars story, begin marketing? Well, can I take Ron Howard at face value? Sure. He's, he concludes the film with, uh, I'll see you next year. Yeah. Oh, I hope you enjoyed all the photos I've been popping up. Mm-hmm. I love how he says that. Like, this, yeah. like, this whole thing is just kind of him, be, like I said, an aw shucks kind of attitude. He's just thing. winking an eye like, hey, you remember when you guys were worried about the reshoots? Yeah. And, you know, Phil Lord and Chris Miller getting fired? Well, I'm glad you guys liked my photos. And that was all you guys needed yeah. to be okay with me. Right. <laughs> so dumb. Um, like, it was, yeah, like giving candy to a kid like they had been thrown exactly. a tantrum because it's, it's like they felt oh no they're oh, no. mad that we fired like we, we threw out the fun <laughs> uncle yeah <laughs> so now right. we got a grandpa kids. get back in here right give everybody a chocolate bar and we'll be good right yeah um but he's like see you in the next year and uh, i said to you last week that i absolutely believe we don't see or hear anything about han solo um you said before february before february at the earliest just because you were you're thinking super bowl yeah i was thinking super teaser drop a teaser um march and april you do a full trailer and then you just do tv spots the rest of the way or some kind of exclusive jimmy kimmel late night release for trailer number two 
that that was my thought, and I think you push back a lot. I mean, <laughs> kind of. Almost coming to the point where you're saying, "No, you're absolutely dead wrong, Mr. Straley." <laughs> I mean, almost a little bit, yeah. Just because that 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 window for marketing gives us February, March, April, and part of May. Well, really, it's part of February and part of May. Yeah. So really, it's four months to give an entire campaign an entire marketing campaign to give us a teaser a full trailer probably a trailer too uh, i mean star wars has only done two trailers for rogue one and episode eight so far and but then you still get all the tv spots you get two yeah. posters you get the vanity fair stuff um for at least the episodes you get the ew cover empire with, mag with the empire mag um photo shoots you get all of these promotional stuff plus you have the two weeks before the film comes out though that's probably when the press screen would be held then the and so then those two weeks before the movie we'd have the reviews come out we would have uh all the interviews so really you're looking at just over three months to do a teaser a full trailer um photos um, any other interviews, specials, details that you want to give out about the movie? Because normally they do like a character unload where they're like, yeah. here's all your characters. And it's like, okay, let me see who Amelia Clark's playing. Let me see where Lando is at in this universe at this point. Right. And to do all that in three and a half, four months is just going to be nonstop. Like if that, that, at that point we would never have an episode <laughs> that we did not discuss some breaking Han Solo story interview or image. Right. And currently Star Wars likes has been doing a yearly basis to do their full uh, marketing campaigns. And so to squeeze that, put that in a fourth of that, squeeze all of the information we've had about episode eight into a three month window would just be overwhelming, I think personally. And so that's why I've been thinking and saying that they should have a trailer out with a teaser, some sort of trailer, 90 seconds at the max, 45 seconds at the least, just something out there that gives us a small hint of the plot of this movie. And also our first look at Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo and attach that to episode eight. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it'll probably come like early January. Yeah. But I'm just worried that it's going to feel like this blitz of marketing and Disney competing with, you know, the final trailer for Black Panther uh, marketing for Infinity War. Cause that comes out three weeks before Han Solo um, new mutants will come out in that same time stretch. Like there's so much other blockbusters that they won't be able to strategically avoid and drop their trailers or their photos around where they're like, okay, this week's going to be a dead week. Mm-hmm. So we can drop our stuff here and be the talk of the town for a week and a half. Instead, it's like, all right, here's our trailer. Two days later, here's the Infinity War trailer. Or here's a new Infinity War TV spot. Or here's something else that's going to take the focus away from Han Solo, which is why I think the earlier you start, the better. Right. You know, and I was thinking about this too. May, so May is shaping up to be the blockbuster month for Disney. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, Last year we had what in May we did Cars three. Oh, this Guardians year? of the yeah this year. This, sorry, this, last this year, year it was uh, we had Guardians of the Top and then Pirates at the end. Yeah, and then Cars in June. Okay, I think so. It was around that time, but 
plus the Beauty and the Beast in March. Or whatever. Okay, yeah. I mean, all around this time, I think Disney crossed three billion before the end of May mm-hmm. um, internationally at the box office. Right, because that still included a lot of the Rogue One stuff, technically. Mm, right. So, from a purely marketing standpoint, you know, like you were saying, uh, how, how do they squeeze it all in? I don't know. They're probably going to go um, gorilla with it. Just, mm-hmm. you know, the essentials and then blitz the weeklies, late nights, um, today shows, all sorts of things like yeah. that. I mean, Alden Eyrich and Donald Glover are the most photogenic sure. pair <laughs> out there. Amelia Clark as well. She <laughs> putting her, um, front and center with just her repertoire of Game of Thrones and any other films that she's working on. Charismatic as heck. So she's going to draw a crowd. People love Woody Harrelson. You've got a loaded cast of people. Like you said, Ron Howard, really likable. Absolutely. Throw him on the Tonight Show, it'd be Exactly. So, you know, you're not going to have a problem getting your people anywhere. Sure. um, On any kind of like circuit or, you know, whatever the case is for press. The only concern is, like what you said, though, um, is stacking up two massive films. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't even had a teaser for Infinity War exactly. yet. Exactly. Like we'll, we'll probably get that with Star Wars, which is why I think we wouldn't get one for Han Solo. Because exactly. what's going to be the bigger one? It's probably arguable which teaser would be the bigger hit because mm-hmm. Star Wars has a crazy fandom. But Infinity War, people have been waiting for for ten years. Right, the buildup's been incredible. Yeah. So, and I never, I can't believe I never thought about this, even when Lord and Miller were still on the, uh, was still on the team. But this Star Wars movie wasn't supposed. Is I don't even know the budget yet, but I don't think this Star Wars movie's supposed to be a big deal. And I, I really think that's why all of this is so low key. I think you it think was it's so low budget. Uh, I don't know the budget. I, don't I can't know imagine if it being would be that yet. much less than like whatever Rogue One was. Like I think it'll probably be comparable to Rogue One. Like I'm sure the episode, the episodic installments are each over two hundred million dollars for budget, budgetary reasons. But then Rogue One is probably one thirty, one fifty, um, and I would assume Han Solo is on a similar place, just because it seems like they're going to multiple planets. They have a great cast, you know. Um, you know, Donald Glover, Amelia Clark, Woody Harrelson, those are, those three aren't going to come cheap. Um, and, I mean, like you said, all the promotional stuff, I mean, they've been traveling across the country. All the reshoots they had to do, yeah. that adds up. And they did they did, they did did reshoots for, what, two months, two, three months? Uh, they just, since they just wrapped reshoots, or even though Ron Howard called it principal photography, which I thought was a little weird. I don't know if that means they're going back to reshoots again no, I think later. Um, cause that'd be concerning if they were going to do reshoots in like January, February. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, d- I just don't know. I, I agree that it'll be insanely difficult for Disney not to be stepping on their own toes with trying to market Han Solo and Infinity War at the same time, but there's no indications that Han Solo is moving. They've been very firm in that we are sticking May 25th, 24th, um, 2018. Yes. That's our release date. And we're not moving. And if that's the case, then, you know, waiting until 2018 to start marketing, you know, that's like what, you know, indie movies do. Mm-hmm. Like they wait till five months out to start marketing. Major blockbusters, we get teasers or some sort of marketing a year out in advance. Yeah. You don't get, you don't get the bill. There's no anticipation for this film. 
Mm-hmm. That, there, is, that, that is, is absolutely true. Well, I, there is not going to be anticipation from teaser to film. There's going to be here's the tra- here's trailer one, here's trailer two, go nuts. Mm-hmm. That that's good. That's going to be the lead into this. There'll be you know the scenes and the snippets that they pull out and they give to their cast members as they you know go out. Um, like it'll be it'll basically be a typical blockbuster film not marketed like any of the last two star wars films right and their goal is to break even at this point and i, I really think that's it I mean, they don't have if they get to a billion dollars lucasfilm is going to breathe a sigh of relief oh, but then also yeah. at the same time say oh gee we can get away with anything that's also that's very true um because but, but you know it comes from but i'm saying that because it comes from a place of who they hired originally phil lord and chris miller mm-hmm. the, Two risky directors. But exciting choices. Exciting choices. Exactly. And I think that when the movie spiraled out of Kasdan's control, um, for lack of, you know, I mean, him and Kathleen's control, uh, they decided, okay, maybe we'll blow it up a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But I really do think this film wasn't supposed to be anything enormous. They wanted it to be uh, like a bank robbery, bank heist film. And... Uh, due to you know change in direction, mm-hmm. they they altered it. So, but I mean, even if it was just you know they described it at one point, I think when Miller and Lord were still on it as a a, a western heist movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, I mean, if they're going to multiple planets, that's um VFX work to get the space stuff down. That's yeah. um all the prosthesis and makeup to get all the different varying alien races building sets. Um, I mean, yeah, there's not going to be too much visual effects in terms of like huge sprawling. I'm guessing there's not going to be like, you know, the giant, you know, battle on, um, in rogue one on the base at the end of the movie Scarif. on Scarif. Yes. Uh, like there's not going to be the need to have eight ad walking around and, you know, have, sure. have all this huge destruction going on. But there will still be a need to make the galaxy look real and feel mm-hmm. real. Yeah. And it has a cast that is is big. It's it's talented. And the fact that the only official piece of promotional material we have from this movie is the cast photo with Lord and Miller yeah. <laughs> from back in like March. And mm-hmm. now the official logo and title, like that they are way behind the ball. And I think they got to catch up. And that's why I'm just, again, I'm just worried that it'll just feel like, you know, kind of when like Age of Ultron was getting marketed, Marvel was putting out TV spots and yeah. all that stuff just left and right. And it was just like, all right, just slow, slow your roll. Or even like what Sony did with Amazing Spider-Man, where you're just like, I've seen enough. I feel like I've seen the whole movie. And mm-hmm. I don't think Disney would do that in terms of the footage, but I think just the the pure amount of content that we'd be getting that would promote this movie, it would feel just as, or maybe even more overwhelming. And I don't yeah. want to go into Han Solo feeling like, all right, let's, let's oh, see this movie. Right. And that's why things are going to be slow because it can't you're, be slow. you're exhausted. At, at this point, I mean, granted you and I are on a movie podcast and we sure. talk about this stuff week to week. Um, but people have just come out of Star Wars, and you cannot blitz them again with another film yeah. in the same vein right away. Number one, you don't want to confuse 
anyone going to the movies, what's there right now? Right. But Star Wars, it dies down early February. Mm-hmm. You you do an internet only tease trailer. Um, sure. Probably it's not, not Star Wars Celebration isn't that early in the year, so but, we don't have to worry about that. Um, but, but I think I think at the very least we'll have a teaser with Black Panther February sixteenth. Oh, ab- absolutely. So absolutely. But at that again at that point that's three and a half three three months and two three and a half months out mm-hmm. from release yeah and that's that that is just gonna if the and if they are planning to do another trailer two posters character profiles um the other ew spread the empire spread the total film spread um maybe even a vanity fair thing any other promotional stuff oh yeah they're wiring there's, there's not gonna we're gonna go like two days tops without yeah. getting some brand new thing and that that could be great for a lot of people who would be like yeah gimme 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 whatever you have but at a certain point i think it seems like uh, okay how much more is there and that i feel like that for for me if that rate and rapid release of that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. starts in february then by like early march i'm gonna be like i just i feel like i've seen so much of han solo precisely so you want a slow burn. You want if this movie is going to be different, yeah, which is why I, they should I start it as early as possible. Believe, no, I still believe it will be. Then you market it different too. You the first the first trailer is not going to be like any other Star Wars trailer we've seen before. Okay, but even if we don't get a trailer until February, that's fine. But give me a look at the movie. The give m- give me a cast photo in costume or the character profiles whatever this is is this isn't an epic this isn't an episode rogue one is arguably an epic sure um, this is this is smaller scale but it looks like it's got a lot of context to but it stars one of stars most iconic characters absolutely but because it's taking place in a time that the context is already kind of built in in a lot of ways and probably isn't going to be that grand of a scale of a film i think you don't have to sell it as boldly and as um, in your face, as boldly and as loudly as Rogue One needed to be because you had to sell this harrowing story of the beginning of the rebellion. Um, it were the earliest days right, of the rebellion. You don't have to sell people on, this isn't Harrison Ford. Let's see if this other kid who you've probably never seen before can play Han Solo. Yeah. I think that's a huge part of it. And trying to squeeze everybody getting comfortable in a, like if you see the first look at Alden in late February mm-hmm. and they're like, come see this movie in three months, but right. you don't like the look or maybe you don't like his, the way he talks or the way he acts in the trailer, that instant reaction is going to be fresh. It's still going to be fresh in your mind three months from now. If they do that first look in December and people don't like it, but then they do the trailer or something in February and it's like, Okay, now I now I see it. I, I'm on board now. That negativity is going to be farther away, and I don't think there's going to yeah. be a ton of negativity, but there's inevitably going to be some sort of backlash because it's not Harrison Ford. Yes, but I'm only on the small subset of the web that complains about things. Sure. Star Wars's audience is massive, and they've got they'll have three movies under their belt now when this film comes out, mm-hmm. and they will know. And I'm sure they already know already, but they will be an armored with all data demographics that have come to their movies, um, when people went, how they bought, and they'll have the um, 
they'll have three massive marketing campaigns that they can mm-hmm. look at and draw from. And I think they're good. I think we're going to find, and they have found that Star Wars doesn't need to be sold as heavy as they think. That's true because it is. It's so. It's one. It's the most legendary. It's the legend of Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, re- really, um, it's as famous as Casablanca mm-hmm. and yeah, but all means, these other But you things. still have to make people aware that the movie is coming out. Yes, and that's why I think we'll see it all hit one, two, three, month to month, with the final month being where we get those magazine spreads, the final poster. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a short campaign, six, not even six months, five months. So yeah, I mean tops. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think we'll get we'll get first looks before the trailer, trailer debuts at the Super Bowl, and yeah, it, it'll be in your face. There, there won't be any room to uh, smooth over anyone's complaints or sell Elden, mm-hmm. but I, I think we're gonna find that Elden's a pretty sure. sellable kid. Yeah, and, and Donald Glover is an, is. The at the pinnacle of pop culture right now with Childish Gambino, Atlanta. Um, pretty soon his new Deadpool series, which I can't wait for. But you know, it's the movie's so sellable mm-hmm. that I think they're, I think they know that they're gonna be okay. Yeah, but I still think. I mean, like you said, we live in a little bit of a movie bubble because mm-hmm. we we talk about this stuff every week. Uh, you know, I write about this stuff every day. That you know, it's like, oh, I mean, how do people? people are going to get annoyed with it. Maybe it'll just be me, but there's also that sect of people that don't pay attention to stuff at all. Yeah. And that they don't even know the last Jedi is coming out in two months and they're going to need to see those TV spots or need to see the poster hanging on a wall. Mm -hmm. And like if, if it's taken, you know, eight months to get those people and they still know about it, Try. I think. I just think trying to squeeze everything in three months, getting everybody aware that a Han Solo movie is coming out, is going to be difficult. And I mean, I'll be interested to see how they pull it off. Oh, <laughs> That's for here. sure. Absolutely. Whatever, whatever avenue they decide. And um, like like you said, I think it's. I think you're probably close on the right track. But it just it just worries me that I'm going to be annoyed with marketing for this movie early on because it's going to just be nonstop. Yeah. I'm I'm a little bit of a I mean I'm kind of hoping that my favorite franchise that you know billions of people across the world are fans of you know gets a quieter like you know less low key like a hipster type of <laughs> setup so yeah. maybe that's where I'm coming from and I'm kind of projecting my thoughts there a bit but um I I don't think Star Wars is, I mean the the worst films ever of the franchise still did incredibly well mm-hmm. um so but that was i mean that was after decades of, of course an absence so right this is in the heat of star wars you're bringing back an iconic character you just killed with a new actor mm-hmm. telling an origin that some people don't even want to see it I mean, is there's a lot to sell people on and doing it so shortly um yeah it's a heat check has, for sure absolutely and like you said if if they come out of this and they make a billion they're gonna be like, Psh, okay, uh, right? Yeah, let's get that Yoda movie going. Job of the Hut. Job of the Hut. Whatever it is, uh, you know, we don't care about originality anymore, and we don't care how many directors we have to fire, at what point it happens. Mm-hmm. As long as we have a movie that hits theaters, it, it's gonna make a billion. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to. I don't want that model to be of uh, course reinforced. But yes. 
hopefully it's great and hopefully uh we get to see something from it soon yeah michael the michael bay vacation of star wars will be you know kind of when i jump ship (laughs) so hopefully the lessons they learn are oh thank goodness we we have brand loyalty but uh let's not do that again yeah (laughs) instead of all right three a year let's go baby yeah Yeah, jeez kathleen kennedy puts lucasfilm into hyperspace yeah that would definitely be the case um but that's all we have for the big question and our discussion on solo a star wars story uh before we sign off josh what are we going to be reviewing next week we are going to dial it way back and see the latest um Film written by the Coen brothers, directed yep. by George Clooney, Suburbicon, starring yeah. Matt Damon, Julian Moore, uh, Oscar Isaac with some cameo in there, and then the guy who looks like Ray Romano but isn't Ray Romano as the police officer. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't okay. know who that is. I don't know. Either. Looks like him, but it's not him. <laughs> um, it, it looks kooky, uh, a little bit wacky. And that's what we expect from the Coen brothers, but there's ultimately always some kind of thread that you can grab onto. Right. These 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 two uh, have in their films that always make them interesting or make me say, huh, what was the point of that? And, you know, that's kind of why I'm excited to take a look at it. Yeah, be, I'm excited because uh, it looks dark, but also in a dark humor way where that's very much the Coen Brothers style and why in that first trailer I was like, oh, this is a Coen Brothers movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's because they wrote this. Yeah. Got it. Uh, and ever since then, I've just been looking forward to it. It looks like Matt Damon is going to be a solid performer in this movie. And I'm looking to see how it all unfolds, the kind of how Matt Damon gets wrapped up in the, the mob game. And, you know, I still love that moment in the trailer of time when he just gets randomly punched in the face. Yes. Uh, it's, it's fun. And I think that's what we're going to get this movie. A lot of crazy fun uh, stuff, but also a lot of serious stuff at the same time. So definitely looking forward to Suburbicon and make sure you go check it out next weekend. So you can come back and listen to the episode and listen to our review and uh, if you have any thoughts on it, be sure to tweet us and you will uh, we'll share your thoughts on the movie as well on the episode. But if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, head over to iTunes and go say five-star review. And if it's not a five-star, maybe it's a four-star, maybe it's a three-star, maybe it's even a one. If we are that bad, let us know. But let us know why. Don't just leave a one-star review. Tell us why. Tell us why we didn't do as good, what we can do to keep you around and improve. Uh, and if you love the show, tell us why so we can make sure we keep doing that kind of stuff. Um, that's all we have for this episode. So during our time away, be sure to tell your thoughts everything you covered by tuning us at Friends of Film. We use your updates on the podcast, movie news, and more. You can find Percy on Twitter at Coops underscore Hoops. And you can follow me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. And thanks again for tuning in to the Friends of Film podcast. Josh. Thanks for stopping in, everyone. And be sure to share next week for our view of Suburbicon.